0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The Mass of Christmas Eve, which in the traditional form for a number of centuries would have been celebrated yesterday morning, speaks of the feast and the future tense for good reason. The midnight Mass owing to the long tradition that Christ was actually born at midnight, speaks of the feast as though it is happening. It's known as the Angel's Mass. Mass at dawn has its own particular character owing to the message of the angels to the shepherds. It's known as the Shepherd's Mass. And Mass of the day of... Christmas has long been known as King's Mass. Think of how our Lord is described by the archangel nine months before his birth. He will rule forever, he will be Son of God. When Our Lady heard these words about her son, she reflected on them in her heart as she did everything. She reflected on the words spoken by her cousin Elizabeth and their three months of conversation, which would have included everything that that same archangel said to Zechariah. Even though Zechariah is mute, obviously he's literate, and obviously his wife is. She added to that all that was spoken to her by Joseph, and all the message given by the angels. She reflected on what was said by the shepherds, conveying the words and the songs of the angelic host. She would go on to reflect on the words spoken by the wise men, by Simeon, Anna. She'll continue to reflect on the words that she then hears from her son. So when we consider Our Lady at this moment on Christmas morning... 2016 plus three or four, 2019, 2020, years ago, it is difficult to imagine how such few, relatively few words spoken to her by that time would have resonated in her perfect intellect, her perfect memory, her perfect soul, She knew the presence of God. To what degree was she able to articulate it? We don't know at that time. But there's a long tradition as well that this prologue of St. John's Gospel is what she said about him to St. John the Evangelist. It is obviously meant to occupy our attention, as it will not be our meditation after Mass. Hopefully you read it, but consider the way we really learn stories. Close your eyes and let me read it to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony, to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home. And his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Full of grace and truth, we have beheld his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. For good reason, the Church places these words on our hearts at the end of every holy sacrifice. They are the perfect expression of the incarnation, not as it was taught and learned, but as it was experienced and seen and touched and then explained, and then taught, and then learned. There's something especially beautiful about the sacred liturgy when we're able to simply close our eyes and, and sing the chants. Close our eyes and understand the words being said. close our eyes and say the prayers that are proper to us. It enables us not only to put ourselves back in that moment when these sacred events happen, it so much more easily allows us to place ourselves in God's immediate presence. and already to experience eternity, to get a taste of heaven. It's said by many a weak believer that Children necessarily leave the faith, stop believing, but then they come back. I don't know when that fable was begun to be spun. More than likely it's especially truly especially said by the six or seven succeeding generations that have tried to pass on the faith over the last century or so, each doing a worse job of the previous generation, each being surprised that what worked for them didn't work for their children. There was a story last week in Catholic News Agency about the great many people that are no longer Catholic especially those who leave as teenagers or as young adults. That's not news. What is news is that, by and large, they don't come back. Not like their parents or their grandparents did. What's also news is that a great many of them report that they had decided to leave the faith between the ages of 10 and 13. They say it's because they had already come to the conclusion that faith was incompatible with science. It doesn't take a rocket scientist, to know that there is no science without consistent conditions for similar experiments. And there has to be an expectation that the substance of the universe is consistent. And so there actually is no science, and there hasn't been science in human history. without a Christian God who is both almighty and benevolent. But there's something deeper. Archbishop Fulton Sheen said that there is no such thing as a crisis of faith. Show me a crisis of faith and I will show you your crisis of morals. His contention being that we do as as young people simply believe what our parents and elders teach us. We imbibe it. We're made for the truth, we're made to know the truth. Sometimes true statements don't even need to be explained. They're as soon as they're spoken to us it's as though we've always known it. It's not surprising that Plato would guess that knowledge actually is a process of memory. But instead, we know that we are already made to receive truth. But without grace, it's not possible for us to be holy. And so without a life of grace, it's impossible to be moral. And at a certain point in time, in most people's lives, there's a crisis. Either they're actions will conform to their beliefs or instead their beliefs will change to conform to their actions. And so Archbishop Sheen was convinced that it's actually the moral life that decays first and then it's the life of faith that is abandoned. And what makes a life of virtue possible not just determination, but prayer. We are made to pray. We are made to adore and wonder. Whether it be a young baby that all of a sudden is able to see more than two or three inches and, and is totally alive with the smiles and the giggles of the people who love her or two young lovers who just simply stare into each other's eyes or the parent who is captured by the face of a newborn we were made to adore we were made to to delight and reflect upon all these beautiful things we were made to pray and so this Christmas day is celebrated by so, so very many people, ardent believers and shaky believers, and even non-believers who just simply wish it were true or wish they still believed. Ironic, isn't it, that those who don't believe in the birth of Christ, who still like to celebrate Christmas... Perpetuate the most unscientific ideas and in fact simply made up stories. And so as I did last night at Midnight Mass, I encourage anyone who's young and curious, ask your questions. If you're young and mischievous, ask people why they believe, why they really believe this, or even if they really believe it. And if you're young and doubtful, force someone to explain all this, someone who obviously cares to know the truth and study it. It's not that much of a wonder that people stop believing when they've already been told so many things by the same people that are not true, that are actually just simply made up. And I'm not necessarily talking about stories about Christmas, but it's the corrosion of goodwill and morality and faith when people hear, I won't ever do that again. And it's not true. You can always count on me. And it's not true. I will always be here. And it's not true. So on this Christmas day, we pray for the gift of wonder to be able to pray. And to meditate on this great mystery, to reflect deeply on everything we know, and to be able to close our eyes and put ourselves in this sanctuary, in the past, the present, and the future, to be with God. We ask of the Blessed Virgin Mary accompany us with her words and her wisdom by her faith and above all, her great love. The preface that the church prays includes these beautiful words that for the Blessed Virgin Mary would have been experienced in a remarkable way. We speak of the word made flesh. We know it's her flesh. We speak of the invisible God being made visible. She experienced him without ever seeing him. This Christmas morning was the first time she saw his face. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy, Father, Almighty, and Eternal God. For in the mystery of the Word made flesh, a new light of your glory has shone upon the eyes of our mind, so that as we recognize in him God made visible, we may be caught up through him in love of things invisible. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.